listener, and welcome back to Flight Through Entirety, the only Doctor Who podcast with a hat so big that not even our closest friends can recognise us. I'm Nathan. I'm Todd. I'm Adrian. And I'm a long-shanked rogue with a mighty nose and a thingy for Errol Flynn for this one. Well, it's a bright and sunny autumn in Nottingham, and wafting gently on the breeze is the smell of burning peasant. But soon a quintessentially British hero will be along to overthrow the villain and save the day. Or maybe even two of them. It's Robot of Sherwood. So, Todd, have you had an experience with this episode? I always have an experience with this episode, Nathan. I have a good experience with this episode. I've always loved this episode. Always. Right from the day one. You weren't angry about the uh, gold arrow? A lot of anger about the gold arrow out there, I think. Okay, that was the one thing that I probably didn't like, but I accept it now. But I really loved this after last week's episode into the Dalek, which I find really harsh and quite humorless and here for the first time actually marry the humor with the grumpiness of the capaldi doctor and his annoyance at at humans who don't understand his plans you know and what he's doing and in deep breath there's humor in isolation from the grumpiness but not really together whereas here it's a marriage and i really just Love it from the beginning. Actually, I think it's the scene where he, uh, where Capaldi is going around the merry men and doing his whole analysis. That's where I just went, you've nailed it. This is where I want this to go. That's actually stolen from the moon base, isn't it? Doesn't Troughton do that? He goes around sort of testing people's clothing and chopping bits off their- Very much does. He very much does, as does Alan Ladd Sr. in the original 1938 edition of Robot of Sherwood starring Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone and Olivia de Havilland and that Corngold score. This is the first time, I know we're jumping around, but hey, it's the podcast. It's really, you know, did everyone come to find Murray Gold a little bit? Oh, you're still here. But he really knows his musicology and music history and there isn't a composer who doesn't love Corngold. And he just he does a few little riffs. I thought, oh, I love you for this, including that scene where the Doctor and Robin meet each other on the log. is absolutely shot for shot, almost shot for shot, the same scene in 1938's Robin Hood. And beautifully done. And The Spoon. A lovely yeah. nod to Sylvester McCoy. He's not forgotten. And Michael Curtiz is beautiful. I just remember the director. Michael Curtiz is beautiful, beautiful mm. Errol Flynn discovery. He had a very big talent. I think that's what yeah. he was going to say in this. He said he? ego, I think. But, yes, he was probably intending <laughs> to say Syphilitic history yes. as well. <laughs> yes. Tag, there's the episode title. He went to Scots. Did you know that, Errol Flynn? But yeah, he did, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. He grew up in Tasmania? No, he was no? fishing down there. He was a posh boy who didn't really need to work, uh, and then he just liked ladies. <laughs> Unlike this podcast. <laughs> Do you remember your first experience of watching Off. this, Adrian? I did not appreciate this episode nearly as much the first time around. I enjoyed it, but I think it was completely shackled by – the the weight of expectations about who is this new doctor what can this new doctor do what is the dynamic between this doctor and that companion um whereas i think this time around i watched it thinking it's actually just a really fun episode in a star trek world it would be a holodeck episode yeah um and because it doesn't have um huge complexities to the storyline um it's actually just really fun and good at what it does yeah, I think that's right. Star Trek actually does do a Robin Hood episode, but mm. it's not a holodeck one. It's Q, isn't it? Yeah. It's Cupid, where um, Q makes, I think, makes Picard Robin mm. and uh, and Vash yes. makes yes. Marion. I actually just watched yeah. that this year, and it's just it's really good fun. It, but it's yeah. not as good as this. No, it's not I'd, as good as this. No. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I think for a particular type of fan who wants Doctor Who to take place in a sort of sensible, consistent world, mm. uh, this is not going to be fun because it really makes no attempt mm. to not be the Doctor turns up in the story of Robin Hood, mm. uh, and it explicitly says that about 
bunch of times. And so there's a very sort of paper thin idea that he's only ever remembered as a legend, but he's a real person. Yeah. But you know, he's as real as the doctor, as he says. <laughs> well, I just love the fact in the beginning, like, you know, Clara wants to meet Robin Hood and, and Capaldi is so grumpy about it. There's no such thing. And, you know, and then they come out of the TARDIS. He says there's no such thing as Robin Hood and there's an arrow and then Robin's yeah. winks and, you know, oh, I just love Robin. Mm-hmm. I just love it. And, it, and <laughs> Capaldi looks so appalled. And from that moment, I'm just so into it. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't, I just have a joy for this episode. And, well, you know, Richard's mentioned the whole jewel on the on the log over the water. It's great, isn't it? Is that is that originally him and Little John, Robin it's, and it's Little Alan John? It's Alan Hale too? Senior. Alan Hale Junior was the skipper on Gilligan's Island, ah, yes. and they look ah. exactly the same. One's nineteen thirty eight, one's nineteen sixty five, but you cannot tell the difference. He was also the original bear. As in a calendar bearer, as in oh. there's a whole queer history of Alan Hale Sr. and then Jr. on catalogs. You know, catalogs. No, you couldn't hire him. On, <laughs> in the, but anyway, he was he was one of the original pinups for that community. And it's a beautifully shot thing. And, yes, that is the scene on the log. And, mm. and he falls in and then the other one comes up from underneath and pushes her off. Alan Hale comes in from underneath. It's almost the same shot, but then to do it with a spoon is just so good. <laughs> it's adorably daft, isn't it? <laughs> I actually think the way... The way that they sell it too is when in the opening scene he's in the TARDIS and that spoon just comes into yes. shot and Capaldi licks it because he's been eating ice cream or something and we haven't seen that and it, then he pockets it. I think that's really great. And I also think what's great is that that scene gets reenacted with the Sheriff of Nottingham over the um, big vase of molten gold. Yeah. And I think they look at each other, don't they? I think Capaldi kind of nods <laughs> approvingly at Robin stealing his moves. You know what that original scene was, don't you? Yeah. And it was cut. Yes. Pardon the pun. So it was a beheading scene. It was, although they didn't use guillotines, they used axes, but it was written, said, I don't know, it might just be the note, says guillotine, but yes, Ben Miller was going to be decapitated. But yeah. then there was, of course, the Islamic... Yeah, so getting of two journalists. I remember this really well. So there was it was 2014, yeah. It was yeah, yeah, so it was a British journalist I think who was beheaded by mm. uh, Islamic extremists and the video uh, yeah, as sometimes yeah, happens right. went up. And so the week before they announced, so I think Ben Miller's character, the sheriff of Nottingham, uh, was killed by, you know, I think just a sword chopped his head off. And I think we're prepared for that by the line because he says he's a a new type of man, half engine, half human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that doesn't go anywhere. And the reason that line doesn't go anywhere is the beheading got cut. Right. Ah, uh, yes. Boom. Plop. <laughs> 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 but it doesn't affect the story, I don't think. No. I like that there's a bit of mystery to the Ben Miller character. Yeah. How good is Ben Miller? He's also Miller from Armstrong and Miller. He is Armstrong and Miller. With Alan Armstrong, who is in Doctor Widow and the Wardrobe. And... He was also in Primeval. Is he on uh, Would I Lie to You or something? Is it him? He does a lot of those radio things. I know yeah. from that. But he's one of those Oxbridge magnificosi who just really can do anything. And he's a polyglot, polymath, all the rest of it. Quite annoying in other words. <laughs> was he coming off Death in Paradise? Didn't oh. he do the first oh. two series of that and then oh, okay. leave that? I thought it was quite soon after that. I could be misremembering things, but I... Do know that he was doing that around this time, or just finished it. I remember Paul Cornell wrote an episode of Primeval, and I just remember that he had, I think, Ben Miller wandering around the base with a machine gun, being hunted by dinosaurs. And mm-hmm. I just remember thinking, that's why we have television, so that we can see that kind <laughs> of thing. <laughs> But I love it. I love that he can do anything, but he's chosen to do this. <laughs> <laughs> he's really good yeah, in it, he too. Is. He's, and he's, he's, he's a very agreeable with deciding to chew the scenery when you absolutely need to lean in to the world. Yeah. In the world. You know? <laughs> he, he is really great. That scene. Yeah. That scene where it's like, first Nottingham, then Lincoln, you know, Derby. 
<laughs> Workshop. <laughs> so great. So terrific. Yeah, he God. was the first DI, wasn't he? I thought in, in Death in Paradise. He's a physicist. He's a bloody physicist. No. But he didn't finish his PhD because he met Alexander Armstrong and they just did what physicists do and fell mightily in love over their <laughs> sub-equations and, you know. But, uh, yeah, look, I'm surprised he does cranky face really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he doesn't overdo it. He's not the Alan Cummings of this season, is no. he? No. <laughs> it's actually really marvellous, that scene, uh, the very first scene that introduces him and then introduces Mr. Quayle and Mr. Quayle's ward, mm-hmm. whose identity is revealed at the end of the episode. And he doesn't overplay it there. And, in fact, it's that, you know, you'll live to regret this, always seemed to me to be a sort of rather crappy threat because, you know, at least you'll live, I guess. Uh, but then he goes, you won't live to regret this and just sort of stabs him, which is terrific. <laughs> no, oh. no it's, it's very good. You mentioned um, Master Crow's ward, um, Marion. Yeah. I think it's the one thing in the episode where I would have liked, looking back at it now, to have beefed her role up a bit yeah. and uh-huh. you actually yeah. see her talking to the Doctor when she meets the Doctor later on and have a bit more there so that the Doctor makes it clear who she is and is a, just involve her a little bit more in the story. Yeah. She seems to be sidelined in the in the B plot that, mm. you know, yes, at the end the Doctor's going to give Robin a surprise by revealing Marion standing behind the TARDIS or wh- whatever it happens to be. Yeah. But I would have liked, having watched it again, it's the one thing that seems to, I think, suffer mm. in here. Marion's role needs to be yeah. a bit more... Substantial, I think. Yeah, there, there, there's no payoff there because we haven't actually. It hasn't sort of earned like that storyline. Yeah, I, I think they make an attempt, don't they? Where she is there upset over the older man who can't work. Yes. But I have to confess that I found myself wondering whether she was the same person as yeah, the, right. you yeah, know, yeah. like. And I think part of the problem is that she's much more well known in the UK than she is uh, here. Yeah. So I think she would have been more readily identifiable to the audience. But we've already got our Marion in Clara. Yeah. Doesn't Clara look yeah. stunning in her Marion outfit and how <laughs> excited she is to yeah. see Robin and just, yes, just the one. <laughs> no more in there. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, seeing her just involved with that and just her interactions with the Doctor in this episode are really quite good. Like, I mean, that sounds like a terrible thing to say, but I think last episode, they're just so harsh and not nice, whereas here they seem to be getting along a lot better, even though she gets annoyed, Mm. obviously, at the bickering between Robin and the Doctor, which I just find hilarious. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, she takes control. She's with um, the sheriff. But I just think this is where I find it's really important that a companion and doctor need to have a good dynamic. And this is the first time I think in the Capaldi era that I really feel like it's beginning to work. Like this is a better, much better balance. So they're kind of oppositional in deep breath in a way that I think is funny. Like I think that that the scene in the restaurant where she meets him and speaks to him properly for the first time, I think is brilliantly Mm. written. And then there's the scene where he kind of disappears and looks like he's abandoned her. And then last week, I actually liked the dynamic last week because I thought that it was was funny. Like the dialogue was properly funny, but it was a little bit like I can understand people not liking it. Uh, and so this is the first time where it is maybe it is a bit of a relief. Oh, I just think it, the whole thing is delightful in this episode. It feels like the whole dynamic is just light and playful. And, you know, I was watching that prison scene thinking it, it does go on for a bit too long. Yeah. But I don't mind because, the, again, the, the, the bickering between the boys and her then leaping in to save the day um, or break them up, um, it's actually just really fun to watch. It's that very Moffat thing about men being stupid. I mm-hmm. mean, I know this is uh, this is Mark Gatiss, but, you know, men are stupid. So Clara is there to sort of adjudicate between these two stupid men. Mm. I'd like to ask how much of this is Gatiss and yeah. how much is Moffat because the stings feel very Moffat, especially Capaldi's lines. But then we also know Gatiss and Moffat were working together on Sherlock. So yeah. they definitely know each other's stings. Mm. 
I think that's right. I mean, I, I can't believe that that entire scene, which is so Moffat-y in mm. its concerns, I can't believe that Moffat's just written that. And he's been giving himself co-writing credits all the way through the season, or will be, because he's writing the Danny Clara mm. romance. So he doesn't give himself a co-writing credit here. I think that I, I think, think that, nor should he. No, he, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but I think that I think that Gatiss just knows him very well, mm. and that they do work well together. Is this Mark Gatiss's best script for Doctor Who? He wrote Crimson Horror, which I think is probably his best script. But I really like this one, and I also like. The Ice Warrior one in season 10. Oh, the, I really oh, like yeah. that too. Empress of Mars. Mars. Yeah. So it's a solid effort from him. Oh, that scene, come on. It's laughing time. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. And, 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 the, and their plans, you know, and Clara's going, oh, does it involve a sonic <laughs> screwdriver? Yeah. Like he sawed himself. And all yeah. that sort of stuff is yeah. just hilarious. It's it, so funny. I think I agree with Adrian, though, that that scene probably goes on a little bit too long. And I think it does make the Doctor a bit stupider than I really want him to be. It's not where we end up going with the character. It's, it's an just, early episode. It's we- just his trigger and he behaves. We can see that the Doctor is still an adolescent and maybe a new soul, even though he's an old man. And, yeah. And that his temperament. I actually see it as a mellowing of the, the first two episodes of yeah. his character. Mm-hmm. And he's now, you can see him in the school playground. It's such a lovely dynamic. Everyone says, every critic says, just reading through some of the old reviews in the press at the Times, that there seems to be a common thread. Gatiss doesn't get enough time. Mm. So his characters require richness and exploration. I'm sorry, they are rich and they require exploration. Which is we're not served like that again because Todd and I, one Todd and my favourite episodes, of course, is Victory of the Daleks. <laughs> Why do you just like riling me up? <laughs> I really love that story. Be yourself. <laughs> but again, there are characters in that that definitely needed development. Yeah, and the girls in the war room. I just wanted a whole episode of um, At a Girl, or you know. I think I think though that that's okay. Like I kind of like. Like, this story is very simple, uh, as you pointed out. Mm. And I do think the resolution of the the robots where it's just show reflective surfaces at them and they'll fire straight at them because they're stupid. Like, that's incredibly simple, incredibly straightforward, doesn't require any sort of exposition or technobabble. That's great. And the fact that maybe you want more of the characters than you get isn't such a bad thing. So the funny thing is, I think the first time I watched this, for some reason, I kept comparing it to Battlefield. Uh, I, yes. oh. In my brain, I just I wanted it to be Battlefield, actually. Mm. But I think a point of difference for me was that with Battlefield, there is character exploration and you have these lovely side characters where you go, you know what, we don't see you for very long, but... Ben Aronovich does make something of them. Mm. You don't quite get that. And that's probably what I was missing the first time I watched this, whereas I think this time around, rewatched it and I just appreciated it for what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually a good comparison, isn't it? Because you've got Merlin and you've got Robin Hood and they're mm. both sort of classic figures from English mythology and so on. Mm. But it's one of those things that in the classic series, you've got time to explore yes. characters when you've got 45 minutes. You don't necessarily get that, so you get Robin, yeah. you get the sheriff, and everybody else gets a little bit of time, yeah. but not as much as perhaps you want. You're all about the hair, Todd. Robin's well, wig. Tom, Tom Riley's hair. <laughs> we need to talk about Tom Riley's hair. Tom Riley's hair. Tom Riley is fantastic. I just love him. I love him so much from the beginning to the end. He's just a joy mm-hmm. and there is a journey there with the doctor you know they are so adversarial and but there's a big payoff yeah. at the end with, mm. with them talking about you know I'm just as real as you are so there is some there's a little bit of weight there at the end which I really do appreciate but Tom Riley I just think is gorgeous he's got a such a wonderful chemistry with Clara and eventually once the doctor and he escape and they begin to get on you know, it really picks up and I just think he sells the merry men and everything like that and and come on, the whole archery scene is yeah. just <laughs> totally ridiculous yeah. but just wonderful. And again, a spin on Michael Curtiz's scene with, with Errol Flynn and 
Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's the story yeah. of Robin Hood, isn't yeah, it? Yes, it's a it trap. Is. She yes, knows it's yeah. a trap. We know it's a trap. They know it's a trap. Yeah. I love the reveal that Capaldi cheats, like that yes. the doctor <laughs> cheated by using homing <laughs> arrows. That's awesome. That's all I wanted. And I thought, of course, it's your Capaldi. <laughs> you can't see Matt Smith or oh, yeah, there aren't many other doctors. Well, Tom would have, but, you know, he wouldn't have admitted it. Do you know how he got this part, Tom Riley? No. Just on 28 episodes of Da Vinci's Demons as Leonardo Da Vinci. Ah. And I'm just thinking what a fantastic spin to a finally a little segue. I wanted one of Moffat's little moments of, you know, those five-minute scenes where you go back exactly to the set <laughs> straight after San Martino. <laughs> Leonardo, I'm here. I've signed all your pictures. And you just have Tom, Tom Riley in the Da Vinci Week just kicking him out <laughs> for destroying all the canvases. Wow. <laughs> and he's in St. Trinian's. Oh, okay. So we own him. He's in the the late late one with, of course, Caroline Ford because she's in everything. He is um, <laughs> very pretty without the wig, I have to say. I did spend some time browsing pictures on the internet for some research. Reason. Research. Research. Yeah, that's right. Do you know um, the last film he did just while we're there, Todd and Adrian? Do you know the last film he did? It's called Ghost Light. Oh, oh okay. Mm. Spooky. <laughs> and he plays the, um, Tonga Singram and the Scottish King. I have not seen it. But he I plays Tron Hallam as Light. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> In the voice. He's doing the voice. Doing the accent. So one of the things that's happening early in this season is there's an investigation of whether the Doctor is a hero or not. And we do mm. it in quite different ways. One of the things I think you notice as you watch the first part of this season is all of the episodes address that in some way, but they all do it from sort of vastly different angles. And whether that's kind of a mess or whether that's interesting, I'm not quite sure. It's probably both. But here I think, you know, the Doctor's mm. antipathy towards Robin isn't just that he laughs, it's that he's – a hero, and maybe it's that he's a hero that Clara admires at a time where the doctor is questioning mm. whether he's a good person or not. And for me, I think the best bit of that thread is the bit where Robin is telling the story of an aristocrat who could no longer tolerate hearing the cries of the poor and then him saying, so, you know, he, he stole a TARDIS and left Gallifrey. And I think that's so, so good. Mm. And there's a real attempt, isn't there, here to say that Doctor Who is like Robin Hood, not just because he's a hero, but because of his status as a long-running oh. fictional character. Mm. Yep. I found that so refreshing after David Tennant's God and Matt Smith's fairy tale hero, where, where I think that kind of meta exploration of, you know, what is a hero and, and what is Doctor Who to us fans got a bit twee for my liking. Here it's um, it's just lovely and it's almost like a little throwaway line in a throwaway scene at the very end of the episode uh, where we're, we're sort of asked to consider, you know, what, what are the stories that we like to tell ourselves that inspire people in the real world to do good things? Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then it's done. Yeah, I think that's really good. And, and, and I think they – you know, they anticipate it with that scene in the ship mm. where you've got Patrick Troughton as Robin Hood. And I think yeah. he's the first person to play Robin Hood on television. I, I thought th Richard oh, Green might have been. Oh, okay. It's, uh, Richard but it Green is, does in the in the late 50s. Okay. So it is very that. early, though, I think. He mm. is also the first oh, person right, actually. to play St. Paul on television, turns out. Without the homophobia. Yeah. <laughs> hero of another kind. But I, lo <laughs> I love that. But I do love that control room scene is the Doctor is still trying to prove that Robin is a fraud and everything mm. is, a, is a fraud. He's not letting go of that. Yeah. 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 Until the end of that scene with, with obviously Robin... Uh, rescuing Clara or jumping out the, the the window, but I love that entire scene. You know, linking to the promised land, seeing Patrick Troughton's picture—it's just little little nuggets of information that's linking this to Doctor Who mythology this season and, and all of it. I got such a massive visitation vibe from that scene. I can see why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then to have you know the sheriff storm in and 
blow the door in. Doesn't he? Doesn't he storm in with the yeah, robots? Yeah, yeah. Does he really need to do that if he owns the ship? Yeah, just open it. <laughs> open the door. <laughs> Use your swipe card. <laughs> it's just making a dramatic entrance. <laughs> and of course, then you know, yes, it does. And then and and then the doctor gets knocked out and is taken downstairs to Marion to sort out um, the robots downstairs. I do, you know. Yeah. But this is, again, this thing that we talked about last time in the Crimson Horror, where we said that Mark Gatiss knows the classic series so well and he knows what works in it. And we're starting to get these Pertwee references now, now that we have Capaldi. And so that line that you alluded to earlier on in your introduction, mm. Richard, about a long-shanked rascal with a mighty nose from mm. the Time Warrior, mm. uh, I think next week, is it next week, where we get the Doctor waking up and saying the Brontosaurus is large, placid and stupid, which is like Duh. from episode one of Robot. Like Gatus knows this stuff and so we get a real kind of Time Warrior vibe from it's, – it's like Jenna has seen the Time Warrior and so she knows – what's happened to the Sheriff of Nottingham. And it's like the thing that's happened to the Sheriff of Nottingham is the thing that happened to Iron in the Time Warrior, but we don't get to see that. We, we sort of join the story oh, a bit later on. Iron my heart missed a beat just there. <laughs> did, did I, think that's, I think that's really insightful, Nathan. Did, did it, because, like, I do get that vibe from the scene downstairs, like, very. you know, um, with the Doctor making friends with Marion and she calls him the clever one and then he's bantering with all the people. Yeah. He's totally against bantering. <laughs> it's just so the twelfth Doctor. It's just so. Hilarious. I would have loved to see like that with Pertwee. Yeah, back yeah. In the day, blocked up with who? Who? Well, but Pertwee was too grand to probably be shackled down. He yeah. ruffled his plumes. <laughs> Did anyone else have a moment? Thanks for reminding me, Todd. There's definitely Mark. And Stephen are saying, what did we most love? That moment when the TARDIS appears in the forest and then that angle of the Doctor opening the door and I had a little moment watching it again and I really was hoping he'd say, right on target for once. (laughs) <laughs> Do you remember that? Because that was a huge thing for me. I just that lovely moment as a little yes. boy when the TARDIS appears and Pertwee pats the door. And for some reason, that's just one of those iconic moments that is the TARDIS and is the Doctor. And I really wanted him to do it. But because, <laughs> again, I thought, oh, yes, yes. So there's all these lovely moments back. I should also add, Nathan, as usual, is correct. Um, Pat Troughton was the first BBC Robin Hood uh, in 1953, go. only for six episodes. Yeah. And Richard Green then did, I think, four or five years from okay. 55 till the end of the 50s. Right. FTE, we're here to be your frontal lobe so you don't have <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Gosh, how do I know all this nonsense? You just know stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, there were lots of other little moments for folk our age, and I'm hoping they were doing that to sow the seeds for young people watching this now to, to really look back on that because there's so much joy and fun and <gasps> – it's just very fast, and I forget that audiences now are okay with watching things that quickly, whereas we were brought up to take four episodes to get <laughs> yeah. to the same point. I think that there's really only one script where Gatus kind of goes off is sort of out of his wheelhouse, and I think that that's Sleep No More. But otherwise, he's... And it's not trad exactly because I think he does a good job of pacing a 45-minute episode um, and he doesn't feel like he's squeezing four episodes into that time. He kind of knows what he's doing as a TV writer, but he also knows what's memorable because he remembers it, you know, because he's one of us, I think. So, hey, just I'm just thinking, so with all of those references to Pertwee and Troughton, do you think that their doctors would also have – retain that kind of antipathy towards Robin Hood that Capaldi um, leans into so so much? Or is that a quirk of Capaldi? I, I mean, I think that it's part of this thread about Capaldi uh, not believing in heroes and so he has to kind of conclude that Robin's a robot or that mm-hmm. Robin Robin's fake. And Robin is fake, but he's fake in the same way that the Doctor is fake, that the Doctor is in some ways a front. Mm-hmm. Um or an attempt to do the right thing. And so there's there's some kind of self-hatred, I think, there, which I don't think you would get with Pertwee or Trout. And they, their doctors just aren't introspective enough, I think, mm. for that. But I, I can see Trout and doubting the situation and, and doing that entire 
merry men scene and, <laughs> and and going through as you've said nathan and you know examining hair and sandals and blood analysis and oh you've only got six months to be <laughs> so great but that's hilarious that's, oh, <laughs> that's the brutality that we had last week but just a little bit lighter i think and that's the key to it keeping it a bit lighter and and, yeah. and a bit more humorous and a bit more mellow actually works i think this is the yin to the yang or the flip side of the coin I find last week quite dark and, and it goes on one side of the line which I don't like whereas yeah. this way it goes the other way which I actually like a lot more I guess mm. I could see Pertwee being a bit annoyed with things certainly season 7 like I mean I see Capaldi's journey as the Doctor very much like John's journey yeah. as the Doctor yes. short hair to begin with <laughs> massive bit, hair hair of an idiot end, by the end and, and yeah. there's a middle ground yes. right and I think well, this week, actually, I'm going to say that Capaldi's hair is looking really good because it, this was in the third block they filmed. So it's actually longer than the first two stories. So, <laughs> so straight away, bit longer hair, bit lighter, bit mellower. Yeah, still can be crotchety and all that sort of thing, and, and, but it's working for me. And I see that over the next few episodes. Like, I mean, obviously I've watched the whole season and I see it in Listen. I see it definitely in Time Heist. I enjoy the caretaker, yeah, the PE thing you will talk about, but there's – Capaldi is very funny in yeah. that. Uh, and even like, you know, we'll get past Kill the Moon, but the, the Mummy on the Orient Express, Flatline, and dare I say in The Forest of the Night, he is actually really quite funny through this entire season. Mm. And there's these, Stephen keeps putting back the, you know, am I a good man and these dark sort of shades at certain points, which we all sort of remember and I remember from the time. Yes, he might be struggling with being a hero, but I actually think, what people see in season nine is actually here in season eight mm. and a lot sooner. Mm, we yeah. just choose to remember mm. the darker things. It's funny, isn't it, too? The normal comparison is with Colin, who starts off unlikable and ends up cuddly over just two years. Mm. But Pertwee is actually maybe a better comparison and you also get the late era change of companion that Pertwee has uh, Pertwee's super obnoxious in mm. series 7 it's interesting oh, I'd also I compare, think you're I was, onto I, it I also yeah. do compare it to Colin quite a lot because you actually see his performance in the first three or four stories right and then suddenly after the two doctors there's a change in the second half of the season yeah and then there's the whole cuddly thing in, in season 23 for the most part so I do see those three stages in his Doctor as well, but I think because John goes on longer, yeah, um, we've discussed it way back when, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. I, and I mentioned it. But here, I just think that in this episode, I actually see right here it is the Capaldi Doctor that we see in series ten is there, uh, right? Mm. But he's just got to come to the realization himself that he's there, mm. and that happens. I'm getting ahead of myself, yeah, much later in the season, but it's through there, and I, and I think it's important observation i just yeah. really enjoy this these run of episodes that are coming up and you know seeing peter work with jenna so well here his sparring with robin and go back to ben miller let's, let's yeah to yeah he's the scene with with jenna again mm. and clara mm. yeah that's a wonderful scene his banter with the doctor you know or they be a bit briefer but the doctor actually you know um saying that robin's a legend getting to that point Another wonderful thing. There's so much to like in this, you know, from Capaldi and from the guest stars. Sorry, I've just sort of done a bit of a... <laughs> That's all right. Capaldi's your favourite new series Doctor, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it was at this point, it was in this episode that I went, he could outdo Matt Smith for mm. me, right? And that, it was, this was this, it was this episode, which, I don't know, says something. That's why I enjoy it so yeah. much. Mm. There are a whole bunch of sort of tonal shifts in yeah. his character. And I think we see this quite a lot in this season where he's just trying to sort of lay the groundwork for his doctor's personality. And and on the one hand, you see that sort of archly dismissive, cynical side, which absolutely I can sort of correlate back to, to Colin's doctor um, and, and a bit of poetry as well. But then there's that also lovably cantankerous side. And I agree with you 100% that that lovably cantankerous side we can already see in this this episode. Because I was watching yeah. ahead, like, as well. Yeah. Like, in Time Heist, it's so there, yeah. you know. Yeah. And in The Caretaker, yeah. it's so there. I, I suddenly was seeing things that I hadn't seen for the first time through. I've 
you can probably gather that I've really enjoyed watching this series. I, and it, I think it's a really good series. Like I'm, I am a big fan. Mm. I, but I actually like him being obnoxious because <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. Um, and there is less of it this episode. The comedy is much more straightforward. But you know. Moffat's cast someone like Moffat's cast Malcolm Tucker mm. from the thick of it, who is incredibly funny. He knows mm. that he can do comedy. And Moffat is a sitcom writer. He can do comedy. Mm. And I think that that's something that he leans into even more than he does mm. with Matt Smith. Mm. But I mean, you know, that whole thing about him not letting go of this idea that Robin is a robot uh, <laughs> and absolutely you know, not, can't be trusted because he's a hero yeah. is ridiculous, but it's also so wonderfully petty. <laughs> yes, wonderfully petty. That's great. Yeah. So, just a question to Adrian Is that typical of this doctor for you? I don't know if it's his baseline, but it's something that I feel like com- he, he comes sort of back to throughout. Like, it's not a consistent character quirk but it's something that pops up every now and then is it the base of this doctor watching it for the first time and again that's to you and todd is that where he's coming from as you like because i had never thought about the pertwee parallel other Mm. than looking at all of capaldi's gorgeous little drawings as a 13 year old boy that he sent to the production (laughs) office and everything and it's always the pertwee stuff so yeah maybe maybe but he doesn't start off charming unless you're a Delphon. Yeah. <laughs> I just love your expression, Adrian. Wonderfully petty. That is yeah. something that he hangs on to at, yeah. at so many times throughout this era. It's, who is your new series favourite Doctor? Like, do you have one or? It, it's funny because I think at the time I thought Matt Smith. Um, mm. And I think in retrospect, I, Capaldi. Mm. Matt Smith's my favourite, but I am willing for him to be dethroned and it could easily happen because I do Mm. think Capaldi is really great. The one thing that hampers Peter Capaldi is the fact that I think that the number of the stories aren't quite as... Matt's got got some stories that I think are on average probably better, but I'm thinking about Series 9, so it's going to be interesting to see what I think of that when it comes to the end. Yeah. So maybe it's because Moffat's fresher with Matt. Mm. Then I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's not yeah. the case. But I, yeah, I didn't think Matt was going to be dethroned when I yeah. came into this era. And then it's a funny thing, though, because I think there are so many great stories in Matt Smith's era. But I think because I've watched them so many times, the, the, the overwhelming sort of feeling for me now is they're so kind of ornate and rococo, these sorts of season long narratives that I kind of just want to hang with these sort of one off episodes of Capaldi's first season. And it's refreshing for me. I think that he reacts against series six in series seven. So series six has the ornate uh, complex plot arc and series seven has two very light plot arcs. Uh, But I think series seven has some sort of boring episodes in it and I'm not so sure about the back (laughs) half of it. Whereas here I think he resets and I think what's happening is that having Capaldi along gives him the chance to reevaluate. Like now what's the Doctor going to be like? Mm. And it's the sort of thought that you don't really get in the classic series because I think in the classic series you just rely on the actor to come along and give the sort of performance that you're going to get from that actor. And that informs it. And I think maybe Sylvester McCoy has a little bit more thought going into his character at the time. But overwhelmingly, it's just, oh, I met this guy at a a wedding reception and he was really funny and now he's going to be the doctor and he's going to dress like me or whatever. Um, Here, I think... Moffat gets to reset and go, all right, well, what's the Doctor like now? And I also think, and I've said this before, he doesn't want to embarrass himself in front of Peter Capaldi. (laughs) (laughs) So true. But there's a lot going on in this season. There's the whole Danny Clara comedy romance Mm, with the Doctor mm. being set up to be her space dad. You've got the whole Missy element. You've got the whole Doctor questioning, is he a hero? There's actually more than I ever realised before. I thought it was just, oh, Missy and the Doctor being crabby and a bit of a romance yeah. for Clara. But I think there's, although not a focus in this episode per se, you still got links to it. And I think, it, you know, there's a lot more in this series eight than 
I realised even. It's that thing where Moffat's arcs tend to be about the characters. And so here the big arc, I think, in Series 8 is the Danny Clara romance. Which is not really evident in this episode because she's no. going to be a bit more in love with um, Robert <laughs> yeah, this week. Yeah. And, it, and it'll ramp up, obviously, next week. Coming back to sort of the conclusion of the episode, I think when the Doctor says that he's leaving a present for Robin, it actually shows that he actually does care, right? And I think one of the biggest complaints is that, you know, well, from last week, she's my carer. She cares so I don't have to. But he actually underneath it all does. And you're going to see that a number of times in the episodes coming up that he actually, although he may appear to be harsh, he's doing it for a reason to save her and hopefully others, but unsure that he's going to be able to do it. But here with Robin, despite all that's happened, here is Marion. She has found you and he's the conduit for that, you know, and it shows a, a lighter side than perhaps what people or the general public or whoever perceived or even myself at that time. Why does uh, Robin shoot a big arrow up into the air after he hugs up? <laughs> Am I reading too much into that? Can we, are we on Not Freud at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Has, haven't they just done it a few scenes ago with, with that the, the statue of Nemesis, sorry, the arrow of hey. uh, <laughs> the arrow into the spaceship and just by hitting the outside of the spaceship, it's suddenly on the target. And there's I a target. I just think that's Slumber. awesome. Yeah. It's, but just by that, then it, they can reach maximum power or whatever it yep. happens to be Explode called. Explode safely in space or something. He's excited. It's like when people shoot guns into the <laughs> it air. Is, he's he's the guns. He's got the arrow. Yes. Yeah. He's very excited. You know, the poor peasant or, or animal creature <laughs> that lands, lands on. on. Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so people did hate that ending and people did say really? that it wasn't possible. And you just kind of think, come on. Like, it doesn't <laughs> matter. In this context, it doesn't really if, matter. If you have had an episode where you're talking about arrow Flynn's enormous ego. <laughs> You're talking about a golden arrow and that archery competition, that the prison wrangling between the two. Isn't this the only conclusion that you could have for an episode that's full of phallocentric energy? To begin with? <laughs> <laughs> Lego Technic castle spaceships at. Um, and I was really. Hoping it really for an is, of, isn't it? I was hoping for an Androids of Tara moment, but it's carefully, <laughs> it's carefully castle. It's some- Which is made of cream cheese, I believe, <laughs> according to the brand name. We've seen it before, haven't we, Adrian? Carefully Castle, Todd? It's been in other episodes anyway. But it, more recent series, not the traditional series. It does look very good. Like, I think that that's the other thing. It mm. looks pretty great. And this is an episode directed by Paul Murphy, who just does this in The Caretaker. He's very good, yeah. I feel. I think it's that thing too where it's the opposite of Alan Bromley in The Time Warrior where he can't do any special effects and everything <laughs> has to be fixed uh, in the special edition DVD release. <laughs> Tennis ball and a bit of tin. Ball. Yeah, that's right. Whereas I think that this works really well and mm. the big shots of inside the castle and the sort mm. of crowds and stuff, you know, they don't look like they would in a feature film, but they look pretty good mm. for TV They look amazing. And let's just, because we've done this before, but Alan Bromley's character work and his work with the cast, especially with Iron Gron and his, oh, yeah. and his little mate, Blood. Very good. Blood. Blood. Pulse. Pulse. Blood. <laughs> uh, just superb. Just superb. So is there a parallel here with like Alan of Dale? Don't they tell him to stop singing or something? Oh, can, can we mention, again, this is the, the frustrating thing for me with Gertis. The guest cast is superb. Mm. The casting is brilliant. There isn't one person I would criticise, and we often do, don't we, Todd? Is one, is it, oh, that was a rush. That was a rush job. But no, there's no one here. That The Merry Men are perfect. I, I would have been very happy with another episode just seeing the characters fleshed out. Yeah. They, they are better than they need to be, I yeah. think, yeah. given yeah. how little yeah. they get to do. They, they seem to get the brief. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm. No, you're quite right. Like, I mean, if the Merry Men and Marion and, and even seeing the Sheriff become the Sheriff, like a la Time Warrior, you could have expanded everything to two episodes if you wanted to. But 
that could have ended up like that horrendous Dalek story back in Darkness in Manhattan. We which, really liked. Which you really liked, but I don't. <laughs> and, I remember, and I seem to recall the time Todd saying, you might well have convinced me, Richard. It's actually a lot more fun than I thought. We had a Todd experience. <laughs> I've just remembered Carefully Castle is also um, used for shots in Vampire in Venice and another one ah. of Todd and my favourites, Nightmare in Silver. Ah, oh, okay. Which is well, and that's why we castle. popped it out. That's why we it out. <laughs> well, actually, the castle's used okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean the castle in this looks really great. Mm-hmm. And you get long mm-hmm. shots of it, and the the spaceship, you know, coming up out of it. It's all really good. I was getting sort of Thunderbirds vibes from the space. <laughs> oh, stop! No, that's just beating heart. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's very very Thunderbird. But actually, we haven't had a rocket come out of a castle before in Doctor Who, have we? We must have done. We must, we must have done. I cannot remember. Doesn't, it, doesn't it, it blow up? Doesn't it blow up? The well, we see them blow up a lot, but doesn't I don't a, see a spaceship no, come d- out of. Doesn't the spaceship? Prince and horror. Isn't there a rocket coming out? No, 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 oh, no. Wait, but that's not a castle. Oh. No, no. Come on, the Time Warrior doesn't. No, doesn't because Lynx's spaceship launch uh, from we, inside. We just the don't castle? see it ascend. Well, do we, we can't afford that. But it does. <laughs> but explode it, the thing. Yeah. So Mark so Gates gets go. to do a proper version. Thank of you. That. <laughs> Anno- another nod to Rhino another Target. Another nod to the Time Warrior. My goodness, there's yeah. so many of them here. Yeah, well, I think because the Time Warrior is Bob Holmes and because Bob Holmes didn't want to do any historical research at all, uh, <laughs> so he just decided he would set it in sort of, you know, Merry England in the medieval <laughs> period, which is where Robin Hood lives, I guess, yeah. in a sort of fictional past. Mm. So he's just hauling that up because he knows it works. Gatus knows what stuff works from his knowledge of the classic series. Mm. It's really surprising that it's taken this long to get a Robin Hood story. I yeah. suppose the Tom War- Time Warrior is a sort yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. You've got Hal the Archer. Oh. Yes. Boba yeah. Fett before he regenerated yeah. We've got to Temoera Morrison. We've got June Brown. Yeah, we've got June Ooh. Brown having a fag at the <laughs> castle battlements. <laughs> having a sniff at whatever he's making with his wolfweeds over there. She, she, was, up, she was up for whatever little whatever little potent morsels Pertwee was brewing up. You could tell. She'd like, I'll put that in me roll up and have a, have a drag on that, love. God, I love Time Warrior. What are we doing today? Which story yeah. is this? Well, <laughs> I love this, Richard, and I'm giving it eight and a half out of ten. And, and so for a th- throwaway episode that's pretty good for me like i mean most sort of fluffy episodes if they get an eight solid but i really just love it and sounds like adrian you do too yeah i think i'll give it an eight as well i think it's everything is just lovely there's there's nothing that's missing that you resent that you regret about this episode it's just fun i'm surprised watching it now three times so i usually just watch them once and then now again how much fun it was how good the throwaway lines are and how old i am because i'm not used to watching at this pace i actually have to watch them again to catch the lines Mm. so i can see why this is now a proper family drama again and kids are so attuned to this speed of viewing and their parents would be my age or younger um sort of catching it up on the second and third viewing this really improves like a fine wine with with subsequent viewing and tom riley is just an absolute joy and really and in fact he and jenna you can really see whenever there's someone in the cast in the guest cast at that level jenna shines just perfect both of them This week, we'll be back next week to find out how Clara and Danny's first date turns out in Listen. In the meantime, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and you can keep up with us on our website, flightthroughentirety.com, where you'll find links to our accounts on Facebook, Twitter and Mastodon, as well as links to our other podcasts, Bonfinger, Jodie into Terror, Maximum Power and Untitled Star Trek Project. Until next time, it's probably time you considered shaving off that goatee. Thank you very much for listening and good night. See you soon. Take care. Good then. That 
was Flight Through Entirety, starring Todd Bealby, Nathan Bottomley, Adrian Poon and Richard Stone. Theme arrangement by Cameron Lamb. This episode, Phallocentric Energy, was recorded on the 15th of January 2023 and released on the 30th of April. Those of you who are missing father of the podcast, Brendan Jones, will of course get to catch up with him later in the series. But in the meantime, check him and his friend BJ out as they tackle some independent games in the BJ BJ Game Show. There's a link in the show notes. I think that's it. Yep. I think you're taking us out. I I think we're good. I think I'm good. We've got enough... Um, yeah, 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 yeah. We're good. I have a question, but it doesn't. Yeah, go and ask me the question. Adrian, are you at all an Avengers fan? And you know what I mean when I say Avengers fan, because you've heard the podcast that Brendan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of that's course. the only, that's the only <laughs> one. You know that um, Stanley stole it from the TV series because the original Avengers series is 1960, right? So it's that old. Yeah, Stanley, because he thought, oh, it's never going to be shown in America, and he used that for his comic series. Brendan talks about that. <sighs> Very with with great skill when yeah. whatever episode, but she is the perfect Emma Peel. And just watching <laughs> this and her, and it's not just the shape of the face. And I actually think it's wide. They, she needs three mirrors. <laughs> uh, we're talking about that next, and that is absolutely they one of my favourite lines of the year. So good, salting and. Accurate. Oh, it, yeah. they, they both have a heart-shaped face, but I think they're actually from the same part of England. They might even have genetic, oh. genetic material. She, I think she, she could. She is a perfect. Yeah. She looks like Rig when she was young. Yeah. Those little moments, the little looks, the little side eye. I just would have loved an, a series of the Avengers. She would, She's too big now, but just at the time with she and I don't know who I would have cast as Steed. That's probably That's tricky a one. lot of yeah. Maybe Julian Wadham, someone we haven't yeah. seen before, but- not necessarily in Doctor Who, but just ah, oh, it would be so much fun set in the sixties. She's she's really got that fun it girl vibe. Yeah. Well, I don't know what the sixties version of the it girl was, the mod girl, I guess. But God, she's good. She's not warm. And no, I, like I think there's a lot of people who dislike her for that reason. But Rick wasn't warm. warm. Yeah. And was yeah. Liz Sladden warm? Yes, yeah, she was. She yeah, she was. True moments of warmth. Well, because she's playing it a bit young. She's doing the Katie trick of playing it slightly like a child. Liz you Sladden? Know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, in that I don't first think she season. Is in season well, it's that overplay. You know, the, the playing it slightly big, like a cartoon character. Just so, she's a bit hyper real. Do you think, I think Liz played it younger than she was? I didn't think that at the time. Sometimes. If you, if okay. you watch it, it's it's what Katie I know does. it backwards. Yeah, no, no. But <laughs> what I mean, what I mean is that she she not that she's playing it like a like a child, sure. but there's a slightly bigger child kids okay. TV performance. I know so. Katie definitely what, does that. Eleven as opposed. Well, to no, like, I think generally, I think that she generally like. Is she right? It's and also a seventies way of working. Yeah, so. yeah. So it's time when she drops it, where it's really kind of obvious. Could murder a cup of tea, that sort which of is stuff. her line apparently. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. She yeah. threw that What's in. Her line? In Time Warriors, or could murder a cup of tea? Because she's got the same accent as yeah, um, they're from as, the same part as, as Jenna. Apparently, she threw that in. That wasn't Bob Holmes. <laughs> Bob Holmes laughed during the reading. Yeah, keep it. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. I think we're done. Do you think we're done? Yep. Yep. Okay. Stop.